Well, good morning, Victory. It is my pleasure to be here with you today. A special welcome to those of you joining us online. It certainly is a great day for us to be together in the house of the Lord to worship, celebrate, hear God speak to us, to inspire and encourage us. Uh, we're now in the third week of our Afterlife series, and today we're going to take a deeper look at grief with a special focus, thinking about the grieving process and the loss of a loved one. Now, the reality is this is something every single one of us either have gone through, are going through, or will go through. And given how impactful and personal it can be, we really felt it was appropriate to bring a variety of experiences and perspectives to share with you today via a panel. But before I introduce our panelists, I'd invite you to take out your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And beginning in verse 13 and follow along as I read. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Can you pray with me? Father, thank you that you are a God who meets us right where we're at, in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our pain. God, we open our hearts to you today and ask that you would say what needs to be said, do what needs to be done in the hearts and lives of people today. We offer ourselves up to you, Jesus, and thank you that you are here to move, to speak, to encourage, to care. Thank you for what you're going to do. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So joining me here on the platform, let me introduce our panelists to you today. Here on my left is Gary Putman, dear friend of mine, longtime member here at Victory. Gary has a powerful story to share about his journey through grief and how God has guided and continues to guide him through that. Next to Gary is Sandy Follett, frankly an angel here in the midst of us here at Victory. She leads the grief center of the Southern Tier, and as such, she has ministered to, cared for, so wonderfully ministered and blessed families and individuals walking this unwanted road of grief. And last but certainly not least is Pastor Paul Perino, who was on staff here for 30-some years. And as both a pastor and as a friend, has journeyed beside folks during their times of loss and grief. So will you join me in giving our panel a warm victory welcome. Well, Gary, let me start with you and just ask sure. you to share with the Victory family some of your story. So, <clears throat> my story's not unique. Everybody has a story. It's unique to me, but not unique in general because everybody's going to walk through grief at some point in time. We've talked about that in the past. <clears throat> I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for my mother. <clears throat> my mother always made sure that we got to church, whether she could make it or not. 
you're going to find that an old guy gets a little transparent, okay? I might as well just bring it right out and disclaim it right now. So if I get in tears, just bear with me, okay? I'll recollect. Man will pat me. We'll be all right. There we go. <clears throat> so in 1964, at age 28, my mother was ejected out of a Volkswagen sunroof on a Purcell, Oklahoma highway in a <clears throat> car rollover in a median. At that point in time, my sister was five, I was 18 months old, so I never really knew my mother to walk as a normal person. It was either Canadian crutches, braces, walkers, wheelchairs, the works. So we were made to grow up pretty quick, but of course I was a lot younger, and so therefore I don't recall it all. My sister was much more harmed by it, I think, at that time. But she was determined, they told her after crushing T8, 9, and 10 of her vertebrae that she would not walk again, so she became a paraplegic. But she was determined, and she did. She walked with 30 pounds of brace weight. Until she was around 56, I took 30 pounds of brace weight off. She would walk from point to point before. Um, ended up in her first pair of sneakers and polymer braces, and she could literally walk across the, the, the backyard. Only, only to end up in another accident right here, not far from us, right up here by Costas, and they were tearing the Meach Creek Bridge down. So they were dead stopped at a red light, and a guy hit them from behind. Can't prove it, she hit the front dash, it tore the seat off, she hit the front dash of a van and ended up back by the side. And she was only with this couple just to go to lunch. And she wasn't even supposed to be out, but they'd asked her to go to lunch. <clears throat> Nine months later, we lost her to multiple myeloma. Can't connect the dots, but who knows. Shortly thereafter, we lost my grandmother to Lou Gehrig. I lost my father to a 10-year run of dementia. I lost my 34-year-old or my wife of 34, my first wife of 34 years to AML, acute myeloid leukemia. After having a complete uh, graft um, stem cell transplant 11 months later, it went awry, and so it rejected. And so on Mother's Day, with her two daughters beside her, um, they told her they couldn't do anymore. And two days later, she passed her Lord and Savior. Interestingly enough, <clears throat> that evening out the window was the most spectacular rainbow you could ever imagine. <clears throat> so then after <clears throat> losing, losing Claudia, um, I lost my friend Gary, 40-year quadriplegic that was in our home group. Gary was one of, he ended up going sepsis to a, to a bed sore after 40 years. He never had controlled his bed sores through all those years. He was one of nine truckers that went on black ice to the bottom of Scranton Hill, and he was the only guy that came out of the pile without his two legs. <clears throat> I lost my brother-in-law to um, pancreatic liver after having a Whipple maneuver, if anybody knows what that is. I lost a friend, co-worker, that I brought to Christ and here to church in victory, and his wife might... <laughs> Sorry, and his wife might sit out here today, forgive me. Um, and so I lost him to prostate. So right after that, it wasn't too long, COVID come along. And just the week before, Ed Reine, good friend, been on missionary trips with him and whatnot, was in our home group and on the LBA with me. As he was leaving that night from home group, um, little did I know I'd never see him again. 
as I went out to the porch to say goodbye, I basically went out and he's waddling away. Ed never really walked, he waddled, if you knew Ed. And uh, I said, hey, Eddie. He turned around and he said, what, Garrett? I said, I love you. I love you too, Gare. <clears throat> Never called me Gary. Always called me Gare. <clears throat> and little did I know, I'd never see him again. But there will be a day that we'll be rejoicing in heaven, <clears throat> singing his favorite song. <laughs> I can only imagine. So, I said I wasn't going to do this. That's all right. So I remarried in 2018. Michelle Lee. <clears throat> I ended up taking care of Shelley's mom, 97 years old. She started failing. It's time to take care of her a little bit. So to keep her in her own home, I was going twice a day. I'd retired. There was just too much going on. I decided to get out of work. And because uh, I would travel, and you're going to hear more stories. Um, and there was a lot of travel involved. So anyway. Uh, with that, I took care of her mother, um, and little did I, I, I really thought I would lose her behind a book, maybe not getting up from bed, but she fell and broke her hip, and four days later, she checked out. So, <clears throat> Shelly, when we moved into the house four years ago this May, <clears throat> two months later, we found out she had liver cancer, primary liver cancer, given to her through hep C because she was given a bad bag of blood uh, during surgery 30, 40 years ago. <clears throat> so with that, um, we've been going to New York City every three weeks in that four-year period after they once sectioned her right liver out. The tumor was the size of a cantaloupe. And she's been doing great, um, all things considered. And so with that, uh, they told us this week as we had another scan, or she had another scan, that she is in the top two to three percent of survival. Out of 100 people that started with her four years ago, 98, seven or eight of them are gone, and she's still here today. Mm -hmm. Praise be to God. Thank you for your prayers. And she says, Prayer, prayer. So God tells us in 1 Peter 1.6, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. It's not just if we're going to have trials, Paul, and or grief. It's when. So Sandy, when families like Gary come to you dealing with grief, what are some of the things that you try and focus on to help them through the grieving process? One of the things I tell our families is that grief is a long and painful journey. We're not expected to do it alone. Um, those of us that love and care for you want to walk beside you. Everyone has their own story, like Gary said. No two people grieve exactly alike. We grieve at the level that we love somebody. Letting go doesn't mean forgetting. That's one of the most important things that I think we need to understand. 
Time doesn't heal all the pain. It's what we do with time that heals it. So many people come to me and they say, Sandy, I think I'm going crazy. No, you're grieving. Grief is, affects every aspect of our life. It also produces overwhelming emotions and feelings. And acknowledging these help you stay healthy. But when you don't deal with them, they become dysfunction and pain in our lives. When I share with students about grief, I tell them it's like that ball at the lake. You can put your hand on it and it will stay underneath the water as long as you want it to. But as soon as you take your hand off of it, it hits you in the face. And usually in very unhealthy ways. You can and will get through this. And so many times we think when we start this journey that we're never going to get to the end. But we do, one step at a time. One of the things that I read just not too long ago, and it says, life is worth living, people are worth loving, and God is worth trusting. So Paul, as Sandy has talked about, some healthy ways of dealing with grief, realizing that it's a process, getting help, engaging with other people. So there are healthy ways of dealing with grief. But I'm sure as a pastor, you've seen people deal with it in unhealthy ways. So what are some of those that you've seen that have gotten people stuck? Well, that's a big question. And your answer there was just really good. And the transparency. Thank you, Gary. I want you to know, uh, you are a great treasure, as Matt said, to this community. Being a grief share counselor and watching people come to you and you processing with them, something that all of us do face, and it's very real and just extraordinary. You know, when Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica uh, with the scripture that Matt read a few moments ago, it's interesting that he starts out um, believers, not unlike many of us in this room. He starts out, he says, I don't want you to be uninformed. King James uses the phrase, I don't want you to be ignorant. He's not making fun of them. He, he wants them to understand this reality and why I think a series like this is so important when we talk about the afterlife. He wants them to understand what life is beyond this life. He'll use that phrase, by the way, several times in the New Testament. He'll talk in Romans chapter 11, for example. Hey, I don't want you to be uninformed or ignorant about salvation because, you know, it's all about the Jesus deal and I want to make sure you get this. Then he'll talk about that same, using that same word or phrase in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 when he says, I don't want you to be uninformed that I've been suffering and, and, and there have been troubles in my life, even to the point where I've been overwhelmed to the sense of feeling death. He says, I want you to understand that. And then in 1 Corinthians 12, which I find is a very interesting passage, of all the things he doesn't want us to be ignorant on is our spiritual gifts. And this isn't a time to preach a sermon on spiritual gifts. But if you're a follower of Jesus, there's no sitting on the bench. There's a place for you to serve. But that's another topic. But the last area is what he talks about here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed. There is a hope-based approach to dealing with grief. But if there's a hope-based approach, there's the opposite side of that. There is an unhealthy way in, in dealing with the loss of people in our life. And people like Dr. John James and Dr. Frank Cherry, in their book, Grief Recovery, said the more common ways that people struggle with grief and not processing it 
is that they bury their feelings. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to bring it up. They just want to try and ignore it the best way possible. And some of you, you've experienced that because it's so much that it's, it's hard to deal with it. Some people, Dr. Cherry talks about, they try to replace the person or even a pet. I mean, losing a pet for some of us is very serious. And it, it, they're like family. And I know for some of you, that's hard to understand. But for those of us who really are dog people, cat people, I'm not sure I fully understand you. But, <laughs> but the dog, sorry about that. I couldn't help myself. Any comments uh, we'll get, we'll write. Just so, go send them over to Paul. So, all dogs go to heaven. I'm not so sure about cats. Anyways, um, I can't help myself. Anyways, uh, we, we, we try to replace that. We can do it through activities or work. Or, or I've even heard someone say, you know what? I know that your grandfather has passed away, but you still have another grandfather. And, it, and it's good that you have another grandfather, but you can't replace somebody that you love with just something else. And sometimes people try to do that. Another unhealthy way, and, and Sandy can attest to this, is that people feel like they've got to grieve alone. Nobody wants to hear my problems. They, yeah, they'll listen to me for the first week, but they don't want me to talk about it beyond that. So I just got to kind of carry this burden alone. And that's really very unhealthy. And then the point you made, and I'll stop here because there are others, but I think this whole idea that time heals. Time is important over the processing of this. But time in and of itself is not some magical uh, deal that changes everything. There are other things that need to come to play, the processing and the dealing. And, and for those of us who are followers, it, it really comes down to believing that the Holy Spirit who is within us is in this journey of us healing through loss. And so I think those are some of the really unhealthy ways. And when we don't deal with it, and life gets complicated, and it impacts our relationships, and it does something in us and and to us. And uh, again, that's just not the way to go. So just building off of what Paul said, Gary, when you think about how God guided you through these different seasons of grief, what are some of the things that really helped you, whether it was people or resources? Just mm -hmm. share a couple with the, with sure. the family here. Yeah, um, actually a few of the funeral homes, I don't know who all does it, but um, they'll send out like once a quarter these grief books. So the first one's like a time to grieve, book two's experiencing grief. I think we're on book three for her mother at this point. There's a lot of good information in these and um, steps of getting through grief. Uh, journaling, um, I journaled. It helps you to kind of just kind of reach back into your thoughts and processes and you'd be amazed at what you'll put on paper that you wouldn't just speak to uh, or to someone. But speak to yourself, you know, download your heart Put it on paper. It's amazing how you'll, you'll reach into yourself. Mm. I was brought to that by a friend of mine that gave me this journal. She sits here today. Mm. Um, and so with that, um, I think there is another, you know, there's steps to grief. And there's some that have come out, I think, since COVID. We talked the other day. But I think there's another one. And it's ill thought of. And for you that are out there doing this, um, praise to you. Uh, caregiver remorse. I believe caregiver remorse exists on the basis of what did I miss? What didn't they tell me? Why didn't I see it coming? I went through this dark, deep 
black hole of what did I do wrong as a caregiver? And there's even days I question if I'm seeing everything with Shelly and or if she's being straight up with me, right? Because sometimes they don't want to let us know um, uh, how they're feeling. So, but a caregiver is, is a huge part of, of being with somebody. I really love the option B book. Um, it's, it's called option B, option A doesn't exist. It's Facing Adversity, Building Resilience, and Finding Joy by Sheryl Sandberg. If you're in the middle of grief, I would suggest you read it. It will tell you that what you're feeling is normal. Uh, joy will come back into your life. You just have to be patient. Um, and she did a great job with the book, and I, I just, uh, very helpful for me. Um, inspirational thoughts um, that my, you know, people from home group or friends would just say something about my a memory of, of my lost loved one. That is more heartfelt than telling me you feel sorry for me. I already know you feel sorry for me. You don't want to hear that over and over when you're lingering in grief. Um, give them something to feed on and live off of. Um, people praying for me. My friend Matt, just laying a hand on my shoulder and Paul, uh, home group, praying through. I had guys at trade shows that I had met over the years that were true Christians. There'd be thousands of people along. They'd stand in the aisle and put their hand on their shoulder and pray for me in public. They were such strong people. But that gives you that hope to, to move on. So in this day and age, I just feel that, you know, in America we use this statement too frivolously, I'll keep you in my thoughts and prayers. My guess is you'll keep me in my thought or in me in your thoughts, but not always in your prayers. So don't get caught up in the lie. If you're going to tell somebody you're going to pray for them, pray for them right then mm. or shortly thereafter right. because it means a lot because mm. you let two people down, you let me down, and you let God down. Mm. Okay. Um, <clears throat> you know, some of the most heartfelt, <laughs> it, this sounds crazy, but some of the most heartfelt thoughts were nothing said at all. Grief is awkward. Some people can't handle it. They don't know what to say. Don't say anything. Mm. It's okay. Just be there, hand on my shoulder, a hug. I had a lady at one of our events. I just went up to her and put my arms around her, and she said, don't do this. And I said, I'm just here saying nothing. Just accept the hug. And we always say Job, Job's friends did a great job until they opened their mouths. Until mouth. they opened their mouths. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, just the other thing, I had a ton of people just, you know, they'd just show up. They'd text, they'd phone, or, you know, phone calls, cards, come bring in the mail, stop by with ice cream. Gotta love that. <laughs> um, the point is, just show up. Don't ask me what you can do for me. I'm not going to give you a honey-do list, right? I think that's sort of self-serving. I think if you just show up without asking, that's true serving. Mm -hmm. So serve. Uh, we just heard that, you know, get out. There's, there's a place for you. So help those. And the other th part of that one, is everybody shows up in the front end, right? It's traumatic, the house is full. I mean, truly is the person in grief, you just want them out. <laughs> uh, there's a point where it's over, overwhelming almost, right? Yeah. People come in, the door swinging, it goes on for days. But nobody shows up four to nine months out when it's as black, quiet, dreary, nobody there, house, and you can't escape it, and you're struggling with the grief, you're in the deepest part of it, and you need help. That's the time to show up. So show up later, 
don't show up always on the, I mean, show up on the front end in all due respect, but show up on the back end. So Sandy, one of the things that Paul says in this passage in First Thessalonians is that we should encourage others with these truths and the fact that we don't uh, grieve alone and what we've talked about. If you were sitting one-on-one -on -one with somebody today and you could just share one or two things to just encourage them, what might you say to them? I think one of the most important things is to be aware of the unreal, realistic expectations that we have on ourselves and others. There is no book that you can read that will tell you step by step to take. You follow your heart. Um, it's ironic, I was just sharing with Paul this morning, my devotion this morning was um, from Psalms 50 or 32, three that says this, when I kept things to myself, I felt weak deep inside of me. I mourned all day. Is that not true that we do that? Um, I think one of the things that we need to realize is that Psalms 54 says, surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains us. And I think that even in the, when you begin the journey, sometimes it's hard to believe that God's with us in the pain. But those of us that do the grief, the grief journey with people, we don't have the answers. And like Gary said, just being present and letting people know that you generally care. And that's really one of the greatest things you can do. Mm. Don't run from them because I have so many people tell me they're in the middle of Wegmans and they run into someone they know and they will, people go the other way because they don't know what to say to you mm. um, and they don't want to say the wrong thing. Mm. And like Gary said, sometimes just being present is all we need. Mm. Now, Paul, the... Paul starts this passage in 1 Thessalonians with this idea that people apart from Jesus, they grieve without hope. And one of the implications there is, is that, that we as believers, we can grieve in hope. So what do you think that means? How would you explain that, uh, what that truth it means to grieve in hope? You know, I've done a lot of funerals here at Victory over the years, and I oftentimes uh, teach from John chapter 11, on Lazarus. It's not because I'm trying to be lazy. It's because there's so much richness in that passage of scripture that I think talks about this, this idea of hope. And, and one of them, and we talked about this a few weeks ago when we talked about um, suffering and such. One of the things that you find in that passage that's really important is death doesn't get the final word. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Because there is an Easter cemeteries are temporary mm -hmm. because Paul says in verse 14 of 1 Thessalonians 4, because Jesus risen from the dead, those of us who are in him shall also rise from the dead. There, there is this hope. Now it's interesting when you look at John chapter 11, um, <clears throat> Mary and Martha come and say, hey, Lazarus has passed away and they are just heartbroken. And it's interesting, verse 33 and verse 38 of John 11 uh, John, who is an eyewitness to this whole event, so he's pretty close to what's happening here with Jesus. He says that Jesus is deeply troubled. In the Greek, it's a very rare word that you'll find in the New Testament. It, it literally means that he snorts with anger or he's indignant and he sighs or murmurs. Now, his anger, listen to me, is not against Mary and Martha and all the people who are grieving. His anger is at death itself. It wasn't supposed to be this way, but it is, sadly.
But the beauty is, is Jesus reveals to us that death won't win. It does not defeat us. In Revelation chapter 21, we talked about that a few weeks ago. I heard a voice from the throne declare that the dwelling of God is with men. He will be their God and they will be his people and he'll wipe away every tear. There'll be no more mourning, crying, or pain, or death for the old order of things. So, pass away. Then verse 5, I heard the voice say, Behold, I'm making all things new. That's the hope that Paul is talking about, what he's saying to these believers. But here's the meanwhile, and, and here's the second thing I, I think he talks about. And I think this is so weighty for us in the, in the Jesus way of life. Jesus is angry at what death has done to humanity, but you see his humanity. Here's the God-man who sees the people that he loves, that he created going through such pain. And in verse 35, if you're familiar with the text, it says when Jesus sees their mourning, he weeps. Think about that. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And if you didn't know the end of the story, that's the spoiler right there. He raises Lazarus from the dead. He knew what he was going to do, but he still weeps, the text says. Why? Because the people that he cares about. In the meanwhile, as we suffer in a world that is in a brokenness, the Father who created us, the one who died on the cross, he cares deeply for us. And so Paul says, there is hope, and I don't want you to grieve. And I love that phrase in verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians 4. Uh, he says, I want you to comfort each other. I read yesterday about this young girl in 2016. Some of you may remember this. Um, in Rochester, there was this big race. She had trained to run a 5K, 12 years old. But when she got to the starting line, she was running late and she wasn't paying attention. So she started running a race, but it wasn't the 5K. But she didn't know that until she'd been running for a little while and realized the race ought to be over by now. She didn't enter the 5K. She entered a half marathon. And she's running along and she says to somebody, when's the race over? Well, this is a half marathon. And in that moment, she was interviewed afterwards. She said, uh, I decided I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up in this race. I'm going to get to the finish line. But then she said this. She said, what kept me going was not just this grit, this determination, but the runners who were running with me, they encouraged me to keep moving forward. So Paul says, listen, let's encourage the other. Let, let's help each other. Let's talk about death and not be afraid of it. And, and again, this series on afterlife is important for us. Let's encourage one another because death doesn't win. Remind people of the great hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Can I say just one thing real quick? Great. I read... Um, something that Max Lucado said, and I want to share it in closing, and it says, I'll get through this. It won't be painless, and it won't be quick, but God will use this mess for good. I won't be foolish or naive, but I won't despair either. With God's help, I will get through this. Don't do grief alone. Everybody in this room at this church wants to walk the journey with you, and most importantly, God. Paul, we close us in prayer. We pray with me? Father, this is a weighty subject matter, and we understand that. This is one of those topics that strikes for some of us in a very fresh way. And it can hurt. You have promised to be the father of compassion and the God of all comfort to your people. Oh, may you be that in these moments. 
May we be strengthened in the truth that you do the journey of life with us. We don't have to do it alone. Thank you for that. But we also know the great truth that as we do the journey and we have each other and we certainly have your spirit living within, that Jesus has conquered death. And because of him, we have great hope for what is next. May we not live with fear of death. May we live life to its fullest in the now, making the most of the opportunities. But may we have eye on eternity, that what you have in store for us is going to be beyond what our minds could even fully imagine. Thank you for your presence. We've worshiped you because we love you. And we love you because you have first loved us. May we continue this journey in this Jesus way of life where we are continually being transformed into him and like him. And may our lives impact others, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.